guys may have a seat. Amen. Well, good morning, Coastal Church. Good to see you. Thank you, worship team. And uh, it's good to see you this morning. Thank you for coming out. Let me do, do me a favor. We're going to jump right in this morning. Uh, if you have a Bible, turn with me uh, to John chapter 4. And uh, there's a handout in your bulletin. You can follow along with me there. And uh, just uh, want to hope you don't mind that we rearranged the stage. We, we felt like uh, Joey was a <clears throat> little bit hard on the eyes. So we thought if we moved him off to the side, you may focus more on the Lord that way. Uh, no, actually, we, Joey uh, rearranged the stage a little bit to help uh, our video ministry and to clear that up so that when it's online, it's a little, uh, the, the backdrop's a little bit cleaner. So we're trying that out for us. And, and by the way, speaking of ministries, if you're into video and editing and those kind of things, that's a ministry we're birthing and been working hard and, and you could be a part of that. So we'd love to have you be a part of that. When I was a kid, uh, my parents had a, a great dog. Uh, this dog uh, was a cocker spaniel. Uh, his name was Trapper, and this was an this was an awesome dog. Incredibly intelligent. Um, uh, I, I believe he scored like 1,100 on his SATs or something like that. And but uh, my my mom had taught this dog probably 15 to 20 uh, different tricks, and they were neat and they were funny. And and uh, man, it's just, it just a great dog. The only time that this dog lost its mind was when there were squirrels on the back porch. And and my mom had this bird feeder, and the squirrels would always kind of come out of the woods and eat all the bird seed, and that would drive my mother nuts. And so she'd get this cocker spaniel kind of all riled up, you know, like, hey, you want to go get the squirrels? And its little tail would get going, you know, and, and, and she, we'd quietly, we'd open the back door and this dog would take off like a shot after these squirrels. And these squirrels would scamper down off the bird feeder and they would head towards the woods. Now, the tree line of my parents' woods were probably about 30 to 40 yards away. And in that 30 to 40 yards, this little dog, this little cocker spaniel, he would start to gain ground on these squirrels right up to the tree line, at which point the squirrels had a distinct advantage. They could scamper up trees, right? And so this dog though, would go full bore. These squirrels would hit the tree line right up trees, and without lifting its head, this dog would run headlong frequently into trees. Bam! And every time we're like, he's going to kill himself. One of these days he's going to kill himself, you know? But in his pursuit of the squirrels, you know, he, he would never even look up. He would just go full bore focus completely on getting his teeth on those squirrels. And, and this morning, I'm going to start just a small series that we're going to do over the next four weeks called Pursuit. And, and what I want to encourage us with is, is as we start our new year to consider uh, pursuing the things of God in 2013. And we just sang a great song about, you know, this world has nothing for me. And, and that's really a, a main point in this sermon this morning that, that you know, if we, if we focus on the things of the world, if the affections of our heart and the intentions of our heart are on the things of this world, it will leave your soul parched and thirsty without a doubt. And so we're going to look at John chapter 4. And so over the next four weeks, we're actually going to look at just Jesus having conversations with four very ordinary people, people like you and people like me. And we're going to unpack how he, uh, they pursued the things of God and how Jesus taught them to pursue the things of God. And so that's how we want to start your new year. In the context, though, of us pursuing God, and, I, and this is a, not really a side note, but what I want to draw your attention is the bigger picture of the story of God. 
The Bible, if you will, is, is God's bigger story. Uh, to give you a big word, it's the meta-narrative of what God is doing, right? And, and the, the Bible is the bigger story, and the Bible ultimately is about how God pursues us. You know, anytime, we, anytime we, we connect with God spiritually and in our hearts and our minds and our fictions, we have to remember that it is the God of the universe that first pursued us. In fact, Jesus, when he was explaining his ministry in Luke chapter 19, he said, the Son of Man, speaking of himself, he said, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. That was his mission. That was, his, that was his first advent, if you will. But in John chapter 4, there's this great story. A lot of y'all, if you've grown up in church, you know the story as the story of the woman at the well. And, and it's this story where Jesus is passing, he's, he's traveling between two cities, and he goes through the city called Samaria. Now, in Bible times, the Samaritan people were the outcast, according to the Jews. They were, they were half-breeds, they were, you know, they were, they were Jewish uh, men and women who had married other races, and that created some problems, at least in the minds of, of Jewish people. And so they were often considered outcasts. They were racially separate. They, they didn't worship in the right places. They always went to the wrong place to worship God. And so they're passing through this town, and it's about lunchtime. And Jesus, because he's tired from his journey, he, he saddles up next to this well. He's exhausted. He sends his disciples away to go get some food. And out comes this woman to draw water. And Jesus strikes up this really interesting conversation with this Samaritan woman. I, I don't have time to unpack uh, the whole thing this morning because it's such a long story. So I want to draw just a couple points about this conversation that Jesus had with this woman at the well. The first thing I want you to see is that if we're going to pursue the things of God, we have to remember that when Jesus has ordinary conversation with ordinary people, he remembers that people are ordinarily broken. There's a brokenness to all of us. All of us are a little bit off. All of us are sinners. All of us, you know, we pursue the wrong things. And, and this woman that Jesus communicates with here in John chapter 4, she, the first thing we see is she's, she's broken by the shame of sin. She's broken by the shame of sin. In John chapter 4, verse 6, I want you to see this. It says, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from a long walk, he, he sat wearily be, besides the well, and it was about noontime. Okay, why is that there? Why is, why is the time of day there? That's important. Okay, in Bible times, this may be a surprise to some of you, these people didn't have running water, right? They didn't have running water. So what they had to do is they would take buckets or jars and they would go to the local well and they would draw water for the day. Now, water is heavy, is it not? I, some of y'all know exactly what it weighs. How much does it weigh? How many pounds per gallon? How many? Eight pounds per gallon, right? So think about that. A gallon of water is eight pounds, right? So if, you, if, you're, if your family needs four or five gallons of water, right, think about how heavy that is. So you wouldn't go and draw water at the heat of the day. Does that make sense? Because it's hard work. And so it was common in Jesus' day for the people to go early in the morning or in the evening to draw water. So Jesus, it's noontime, and here comes this woman to draw water. Now, why is she drawing water at noontime? Any guesses? She's probably, she's either, and we're going to find this out in a moment as we unpack this story, she's either the town cheat or she's the town prostitute. That's what she is. And so she comes in noontime because of her, sh- her shame of sin. I can't get that out. She's not coming out this morning. Her, her shame of sin. 
And, she, and the reason she comes at noontime is because probably when she came at the morning time, she realized she was the gossip of the town, and she no longer wanted to come when everyone else was there. Some of you, this morning, you're, you're here this morning because part of your journey for 2013 is like, you know, I need to get spirituality in my life. I got to reconnect, right? And so I, um, you know, this happens to me frequently as pastor. I hear this a lot. People say, pastor, I, I haven't come to church in a long time. I came this morning and I thought the walls would cave in, you know, when I stepped foot at the church. Why is that? Because we, listen, everybody's got a story, right? There's a story in our lives that, that, that we messed up and we sinned and we don't want other people to know about. It. And the shame of sin can keep us pinned back from the things of God. And it can hinder us on our journey. So this, this woman comes at noontime. Verse 7 says, soon the Samaritan woman came to draw water. And she said, said to Jesus, Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. Why is she coming at noontime? Because of the shame of her sin. And it's no accident that Jesus is, meets this woman right here at this time. It's no accident. Jesus meets people who are beaten down by the shame of sin. In fact, the message of the gospel is the shame of our sin, the burden of our sin, the consequence of our sin ultimately was poured out on God's son on the cross. And it was no accident that Jesus meets her right here in the shame of her sin. The second thing we see is, is there's a cultural shame of rejection here. This woman's got a cultural shame of rejection. In John chapter 4 verse 9 says, the woman was surprised What's she surprised by? Well, she's surprised that Jesus spoke to her. The woman was surprised for Jews refuse to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? There's a couple things happening here. One, in, in Bible times, men didn't talk to women. It's unheard of. Men didn't talk to women. And so, you know, she's surprised by the, by the break of the barrier between the sexes. In this time, the, the, the scripture here is very clear. Jew, Jews didn't have anything to do with Samaritans. There was a racial bias. And, and so she, ha, she had all these cultural labels upon her. And these cultural labels limited her. And some of you in this room this morning, you've got these labels that have been placed on you and they've stuck throughout your life. Some of you, you know, you've been, you've been, you've got, you're, you're still carrying the scar of racial labels. Well, you're this race, and so you'll never, or you'll always, right? It's a label, and it, it can create shame and rejection. And there's labels from the differences in the sexes, right? Oh, a typical man, typical woman, right? And those labels, they stick, and they hurt, and they, we can take them through life if we're not careful. They can hinder our pursuit of God. Labels from our past, right? Have you ever committed a sin, right? And you take that with you and it gets labeled on you and it just sticks there. It's why, by the way, when uh, Paul writes about following Jesus Christ, he says when you become a follower of Christ, you become a new creation. You don't have to take that old label, well, I'm this or I'm that. No, that, those labels get put to the cross and there's a new label in Christ. But you're a follower of Jesus and you have this, this new label that goes with you. I, uh, in our house, we have a, a, a library. It's the pastor's library. Pastor likes to read big books with big pictures. Okay, so. And in, the, in, in uh, our library is a book by Max Lucado called You Are Special. And uh, parents with young children, if you don't have this book, I encourage you to get it. Don't steal mine. Um, but uh, 
The story is about a carpenter by the name of Eli, and Eli is this carpenter, and he forms the, these, these wooden people, and they're called Wimmicks, and, and everyone's different. Some Wimmicks are real talented, and some Wimmicks are fat, and some Wimmicks are thin, and some Wimmicks are big noses, and some Wimmicks have small noses, and some Wimmicks are smart, and some are good-looking, and some aren't so good-looking. And in this town, the Wimmicks in their community, they've forgotten about their maker, Eli. And in their community, they walk around with two boxes. There's a, they each all have a box of stars and a box of dots. And when you do something good, you get a star. And so the Wimmicks walk around, they place stars on one another. Man, the athletic ones, they get stars, right? And the, and the smart ones get stars, and the talented ones get stars, and the good-looking one gets stars. And then the other Wimmicks, the ones that aren't as talented, they walk around, they get dots, just black dots all over them. And the, and the main character in the story is a, is a young Wimmick by the name of Punchinello, and Punchinello has no stars. He's not good-looking, his paint's peeling, he doesn't have any real talents, and he walks around with all these dots, and one day he, he meets this other Wimmick who has no stars and no dots. And he said, how is it that you don't have any stars, you don't have any dots? And she says, well, every day I go to visit my maker, Eli. So finally Punchinello gets the, 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 uh, or, or summons up enough courage to go meet with Eli. And he goes up to Eli's wood shop. And this is the conversation between Punchinello and Eli. We're going to pretend like we're in third grade. Eli stooped down, he picked him up, Punchinello, and he put him on the bench. He said, hmm, the maker th spoke thoughtfully as he looked at the gray dots. He says, Punchinello, looks like you've been given some bad marks. I didn't mean to, Eli, said Punchinello. I, I tried really hard. <laughs> you don't have to defend yourself to me, child. I don't care what the other Wimmicks think. You don't? No, and you shouldn't either. Who, who are they to give stars or dots? They're Wimmicks just like you. What they think doesn't matter, Punchinello. All that matters is what I think, and I think you're special. I know you all want to see the pictures. <laughs> Last night, I didn't show the picture on the third page, and someone yelled at me. So I'm going to show all three pages. Okay. <clears throat> Punchinello laughed. Me, special? Why? I, I can't walk fast. I, I can't jump. My, my pain is peeling. I mean, why do I matter? Eli looked at Punchinello, put his hands on his small wooden shoulders, and he spoke very slowly. Because you're mine. That's why you matter. You matter to me. Punchinello had never had anyone look at him like this much less his maker, and he didn't know what to say. Eli said, every day, I've been hoping you'd come. I came because I met someone who had no marks, said Punchinello. I know, she told me about you, said Eli. Well, why don't the stickers stick to her? The maker spoke softly because she has decided that what I think is more important than what they think. The stickers only stick 
if you let them. You know, when I read that story, I think about this woman at the well. She comes to the well in the middle of the day. She's, she's, she's beaten down in her heart because of sin. And she's beaten down in her heart because of labels. And people have labeled her and put stickers on her. Lots of black dots. And they've stuck to her heart. And they've stuck to her life, her whole life. And some of you came in here this morning and you're beaten down by the world. You're beaten down by your sin. You come in here, you, you're sneaking around, getting drawing your water, trying to, find, trying to find life in the things of the world, and you're sneaking around, you're trying to make your way and navigate your way through this life. I've got some really good news for you because Jesus came at just the right time. There was no accident that he met with this woman at noontime at the well. Jesus does not care about labels. What Jesus sees is people. What Jesus sees is diversity. What Jesus sees is opportunity. Opportunity to reveal his glory, reveal his healing, and reveal his goodness through you to others. Jesus doesn't see what everyone else sees. Why? Because he made you. And he loves you. And so Jesus he meets ordinarily broken people, people like you and people like me. The second thing I want you to see here is that Jesus comes with no ordinary message. Jesus comes with no ordinary message. Jesus, in this meeting with this woman at the well, he, he begins to take a, an everyday story and he begins to apply spiritual implications. And so he's talking about water that can quench our thirst and he starts with where this woman is, and he talks about how we can end up with a very parched soul. You know, the human condition and the world leaves us with a, with a parched soul. And so he takes this woman, he meets her where she is, and he tries to get to the deeper things of life. And in John chapter 4, verse 13, Jesus replied, ready? Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. And what's Jesus talking about? Is he talking about her physical thirst? Well, he's taking her physical thirst, but he's making a spiritual implication. Jesus here is focusing on our hearts. Jesus is reminding that if our hearts are focused on the things of this world, it will leave you thirsty again and again and again and again. Some of you in this room, your, your focus is on getting a whole bunch of stuff. If I just had a bigger and more and newer and shinier and this, and the more you focus on that, the more it will leave you parched because stuff will never satisfy you. Some of you are focused on a bigger bank account. If I just had this and more and bigger and oh, 401 and all this stuff and the bigger and the more you focus on that, the less it will satisfy some of you will focus on other relationships. I mean, if I just had a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a wife or a husband or children or whatever, and you'll, you'll be longing for these things, and they'll never completely satisfy your heart. Some of you in this room, you're tangled up in a sin, and you know it's a sin. The Bible's clear about it. And you continue to go back to that well, and you keep sipping from those straws, and you keep hoping that somehow your soul will be satisfied. Some of you men, you continue to click on websites, and you click on websites, and you click on websites, hoping that somehow that will satisfy your heart and your soul. Church, I've got news for you. The things of the world and the sin that you are pursuing will never satisfy your heart, ever. And it will leave you parched. 
And that is where we find this woman. Her soul is parched. And her heart is weary. This past week, I heard a, a song by, by 10th Avenue North. And as I heard the song, it made me think about this woman. This woman who I figure she was parched. And the song by 10th Avenue North is called Worn. Some of you this morning, you walked in here and you're worn. And I love this song because I, I feel like it's the prayer of the soul of a person that's worn. Listen to this. Yeah. 
show and let me know the struggle ends that you can mend a heart that's real and torn I want to know a soul can rise from the ashes of a broken life and all that's dead inside can be So Jesus comes with a message that is not ordinary for those who are worn. Jesus comes to let us know that redemption in the end does win. Jesus comes with a whole new message. And the message, if you have a parched soul this morning, is a message that is quenched by truth. It is truth that quenches a parched soul. Listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 4, verse 14. He says, but those who drink the water that I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them that gives eternal life. What on earth is Jesus talking about here? He's talking about John chapter 3. Remember John chapter 3 where he meets with Nicodemus and he says, Nicodemus, if you want to know real life, you need to be born again. Born of the Spirit of God. Born with a Holy Spirit that gives you a spirit of eternal life inside your heart. That bubbles with freshness. Some of you in this room, you have that. I see it in you a mile away. I know your story. I know the things you're going through. And I'm stunned how the Spirit of God bubbles out of you. And it starts with understanding that our parched souls are quenched by truth, first and foremost. In fact, Joey a lot of times quotes a verse out of this passage that I didn't even look at this morning. When Jesus teaches on worship, and he says, if you want to worship God, you got to worship by what? Spirit and truth. What's he talking about? He's talking about the rebirth of the Spirit in our hearts and lives that gives eternal life. And he's talking about how truth is what quenches a thirsty heart and soul. And what's interesting, when Jesus talks about the truth, he actually starts with where this woman is and putting his finger on the truth about her life. And it's rather uncomfortable. In John chapter 4, verse 16, he says, go and get your husband. That's where he starts with her. Huh? I mean, what's that about? That's a big change from, you know, the whole eternal life, bubbling springs of life. We like that stuff, right? But he begins to put his finger on the truth of this woman's life. He says, go and get your husband, Jesus told her. And she says this, I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus says, you're right. You don't have a husband, for you've had five husbands. And you aren't even married to the man you're living with now, so you spoke the truth. Awkward moments with Jesus, right? You know, that's what we could call this. 
See, there's a reason this woman's coming out at noon. She's either a whore or a homewrecker, right? Yet this is the person that Jesus chooses to begin and really manifest his ministry to. Isn't that interesting? Maybe that's part of the label you're walking through life with. I got news for you. You're the kind of person Jesus wants to use to do ministry, but it begins with the truth. That's why the Ten Commandments are so important, that we look at the Ten Commandments and we say, do I really reflect the character of God? The Bible says if you've ever told one lie, guess what you are? A liar, right? A liar. That's why the Sermon on the Mount is so important when Jesus kind of unpacked the law of God for us. He said, by the way, if you, man, if you even lusted a woman, you've already committed adultery in your heart. If you ever called a person a bad name, the seeds of murder are already in your heart. So if you ever called somebody a bad name, guess what you are? It's hard to say, isn't it? We don't like, I've never murdered anybody. The Bible says you've already got the seeds in your heart. If you've ever been upset with somebody got to call a spade a spade. A soul will be, a parched soul will be quenched when we start with the truth. That's why if you ever go to Alcoholics Anonymous, what's the first part of getting better? Standing in front of a group of people and saying, I am what? Alcoholic, right? It starts with calling it what it is. It starts with beginning before God and say, this is really who I am. Let's, let's cut away the chase. Let's be honest with you, God, for a minute. And by the way, that's why I entitled this sermon, He Already Knows. The only person you're fooling is yourself. And if you want to pursue the things of God, it it starts with being honest with God right from the get-go. And so Jesus doesn't mince words. He puts his finger on the truth of this woman's life. And as long as you continue to hide from the things of God and hide who you are from God, guess what you'll be? You'll be a thirsty person with a parched soul. And you'll continue to try to keep up the facade and keep up the games and and, and make sure no one else knows. Because if anyone else knows, you know, I'll be embarrassed or whatever. Guess what? Join the human race. We're all in it together. And the second thing he introduces to this woman is the truth about who he is. The truth about Christ. In John chapter 4, verse 25 and 26, the woman says, I know that the Messiah is coming, the one who is called the Christ. And when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. So again, this conversation kind of went into the spiritual direction. And Jesus is trying to help her understand how to really worship the God of the universe. And she says, well, I know that the Messiah is coming. And so Jesus, again, doesn't mince words. He says, and Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. In other words, if you want to have a quenched soul, it takes two things. Truth about who you are and truth about who Jesus Christ is. He is the Messiah. This past weekend, I was channel surfing. I came across Fox News. There's Bill O'Reilly. Bill O'Reilly caught my attention because he he was talking about the attack on Christmas in our culture. How we can no longer say Merry Christmas. Now we always have to say Happy Holidays to be politically correct. And he was trying to encourage us to say, hey, we should reclaim Merry Christmas. So he had me, right? So I'm kind of listening, right? And so he says this. He says, you know, people shouldn't be offended by Jesus. He said even Muslims understand that Jesus was a good prophet. And so this whole thing about Merry Christmas is really a spirit of Christmas. At that point, I took my remote control and I threw it at the TV. Actually, I didn't because I didn't want to buy a new one, but I wanted to. Because I felt like yelling, hey, Bill, that's spin in the no spin zone, okay? Because Jesus never claimed to be just a good prophet. And I refused to settle for a lesser Jesus. Just to be politically correct. Jesus didn't go through life and later figured out who he was. His ministry from the get-go was understanding he was the Christ. He was the Messiah. He was the one who makes sure redemption wins. Period. End of story. 
And I refuse to have my Jesus dumbed down. And my Jesus be just a good prophet, although he was the greatest of all prophets. And my Jesus to be just a good teacher, though he was the greatest of all teachers. He was clear on who he is. He's the Messiah, the special one sent from God, the very unique one and only son of God. Being a good teacher and being a good prophet did not get Jesus crucified. It was the fact that he claimed to be God. And the Jews understood exactly who he was claiming to be. And he reveals himself to the Samaritan woman. He says, listen, I am the Messiah. I am the one. If you're going to pursue the things of God, you have to know me and pursue me. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 16, asks a very important question to his disciples. And uh, if you think about all the important questions in your life, right? I mean, we all face important questions. You know, those of you who are seniors in college this year, some of our college students are trickling back in. You know, the question that you fear for the next three months is, hey, hey, what are you going to do when you graduate? You know, I always, by the way, if you're a senior in college and that mortifies you, let me tell you something, I'm 43 years old. I still don't know what I want to do when I grow up. So don't worry about it, all right? You'll figure it out. Think about all the important questions. You ever ask somebody out on a date, hey, will you go out with me? How about this question? Will you marry me? It's a life-changing question, isn't it? How about this question? You remember the first time you have kids? Hey, what do you want to name her? What do you want to name him? That, that name goes with that child the rest of their life. It's an important question. How about this question? You want fries with that? That's an important question when you're trying to lose weight, right? Your news resolutions. No, I don't want fries with that, you know. Jesus gathered up his disciples and he asked two very important questions. He said, who are people saying that I am? Matthew 16. And so they, they say, well, some are saying you're a good teacher. Some are saying a prophet. Also. Same answers people would give today. And he looks at his disciples and says, but who do you say that I am? And here's Peter's answer in Matthew 16. He says, he asked him, he says, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, he said, man, you're the Messiah the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because the Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from human being. And now I say to you, Peter, which means rock, upon this rock, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. That's how bold this statement is. This statement is the foundation of the church you sit in today, that we worship corporately. It is a belief that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He's the one and only way to God. There's not multiple paths to God. It is one and only God's son, Jesus Christ. And if you're going to pursue the things of God this year and you want a quenched heart and a quenched soul and a quenched spirit rather than a parched heart and a parched soul and a parched spirit, it begins with the truth of who you are and who Christ is. And this is the message of Christ that's not ordinary. It's extraordinary. The third thing I want you to see out of this, and we're going to wrap this up here this morning, is that God uses ordinary people to do his work. It's incredible what happens next. Maybe you're here today and say, God could never use me. I've got the label. I've got the story I've got the baggage. I've got the sin in the past. This woman had all that. 
And here's what happens next after she becomes a focused worshiper, pursuer of the things of God through God's son, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Look what happens next. John chapter 4, verse 28. Then the woman left her water jar besides the well, and she ran back to the village. I mean, let's stop here for a minute. This is a woman who's sneaking out at noon because she didn't want anybody to see her because her life was such a disaster. It was the town's story. But once you meet Jesus, you're freed up from that mess. And your past is your past. If God can use your past to bring him glory, then so be it. Praise him. And so she goes back into town and says, Come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? And so the people came streaming from the village to see him. A couple verses later, verse 39. So many of the Samaritans from the village, they believed Jesus because of what the woman said. He told me everything I ever did. And when they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. And so he stayed for two more days, long enough for many more to hear the message and believe. What's that about? Here's what it's about. God used an ordinary woman who bought into the extraordinary message of Jesus Christ to change a village for the name and fame of Christ. One person, when pursued by God, recognized their brokenness, acknowledged the truth about themselves and the truth about Jesus, turned a town upside down for Jesus Christ. Church, God uses ordinary people to spread the message of Christ. By the way, it's why the ministry fair is so important. Actually, I, when I heard Bethany say we had 241 people serving in ministry, I kind of scratched my head. I'm like, I, last year's attendance numbers were somewhere between six and 800 adults that attend this church on a weekly basis. That's a whole lot of people that like to be ministered to, but don't like to give back. God uses ordinary people to do an extraordinary thing for the name and fame of Jesus Christ. Someone mentioned to me today, there's a big game tonight at 4.30. I was not aware of that. You know, I've done some crazy things to watch my favorite game, especially back before technology was as prevalent as it is today. I, uh, I remember when I had the VHS tape games and then not listen to the radio and not take phone calls to replay that game. I, I've arranged flight schedules around games. There's, a, there's actually a church member, one of our elders, uh, he and I were emailing this week, and he's a big Redskins fan. He's like, I can believe this. I'm traveling this week during the game. I'm like, you're an idiot. You should have rearranged that. I would have flown out yesterday, you know. I just said bye to my family a day earlier and traveled a day earlier to see that game, you know. I remember one time I made my extremely pregnant wife run through an airport so we could see Michael Jordan's last game in a Bulls uniform, you know. I've done some crazy things. I've placed a baby monitor in front of a desktop computer so I could listen to the game downstairs while I watched my kids play. I've done some crazy things. In fact, I found that there are a few obstacles that can stand between a man and his sports addiction. 
With a little passion, ingenuity, and perseverance, there is usually a path that can be found to watching and listening to a game. I have a fear for many of you today that many of you are going to leave the 430 game with a hurting and parched heart. But I have another fear. I have a fear that many of us are going to leave this room today and we are going to go back to the springs of life that don't give life. Does that make sense? We're going to go back to the wells of the world and of our sin. And we're going to try to entertain ourselves. We're going to try to make enough money. We're going to try to make it up the corporate ladder. And we're going to try to find a relationship that satisfies our heart, an earthly relationship. And we're going to keep sipping from these straws that will never satisfy us. Ever. And I want to encourage you this morning to pursue the one who gives life that births from within. I want to encourage you this morning to not live down to the labels and down to the sin, but acknowledge the truth of who you are and where you are and acknowledge the truth of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And when your heart is focused on him and you worship him in spirit and in truth, a soul and a heart can find life bubbling forth with new life. He already knows. He already knows. He already knows where you are. He already knows. And if you acknowledge the truth of where you are and the truth of who he is, you will be free indeed. Let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this woman at the well. She's no different than anyone else in this room. She's no different than me. God, we've all pursued things that rather than give us life, they they take life from us. And they leave our hearts parched and tired and worn. God, thank you for the reminder that in Christ, redemption wins. And it's a landslide victory. And thank you for that hope. And God, we long for the return of Christ, the second advent, where you will restore all things as you originally intended. And that gives us hope for that day. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Church.